You may be seated. Please open your Bibles Hello, to the book of James. Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life Live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. And so I rehearsed with her before I left the house to make sure that what I say is pleasing to her. So the first suggestion I had was that I would tell you that I read my Bible, went deep in the Spirit, had a revelation that Jesus preached in sandals and therefore it should be all right for me to preach in sandals. She shook her head and said, no, that one won't work. And then I said, well, I could tell them that I grew up in the 60s during the hippie movement and I reverted back this morning and decided to wear sandals minus the red afro, which I partially had at one time in my life. And that was not pretty. I'm glad those days are gone. But, but she shook her head and said, no, that one won't work either. And so then, at, as a last resort, resort, I decided to tell the truth. And uh, I have a problem. I have a problem with my right foot, and I can't get my shoe on. So, uh, so that's the reason I'm in sandals today. Nothing deeply spiritual, but I am so glad to be here. You like number two better, the the hippie movement, huh? Yeah. Well, I do feel a little more free in the sandals. So I don't know. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's something to that. Uh, many years ago, when I was a theology student. I was taught to look for what our professors called the central idea of the text. We simply called it the CIT. And on many occasions, the professor would present us with a passage of Scripture, and he would ask the question, what is the CIT of the text? What's the central idea of the text? And I have to tell you that uh, that, that can be challenging in many situations, but in the book of James... It's not challenging at all. And in fact, there is no doubt about what James uh, is saying. Uh, He's very clear. When you read the book of James, you can identify the central idea and just about every passage of Scripture going through the book without any problems whatsoever. We have identified seven, so far, seven major themes in the book of James. Very quickly. First of all, count it all joy. No matter what you're going through, trial, tribulation, hardship, adversity, you count it all joy. Why? Because God is always up to something good. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. And then the second one, ask God for wisdom. We all have times when we we don't really know what to do. Uh, When we need answers, we need direction. I prayed with people this morning who need direction. And, and James says, if you ask God and you ask in faith, He will bless you. He will pour out wisdom upon you liberally. He will give you the wisdom you need. The third thing we saw was that we boast in the Lord. Good times, bad times, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, no matter what's going on in your life, you brag on the Lord. If you are a child of God and Jesus lives in your heart, you've got something to brag about and something to boast about and to tell the world about boast in the Lord. The fourth thing was stop losing your temper. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. 
When we get angry, we mess things up. And James says, stop losing your temper. The fifth thing we found was this, start doing God's Word. Don't, uh, don't just be a hearer of the Word, you have to be a doer of the Word. He says, if you're a hearer of the Word only, you deceive your own heart. You deceive yourself. We have to be doers of the Word. The sixth thing we found out was stop showing partiality or favoritism. He says that if we discriminate, if we show favoritism or partiality, we become judges with evil thoughts. We place ourselves in the place of a judge and we begin to judge other people. And that is a tragedy in the household of faith. By the way, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ loved you while you were still in your sins? Hold your hand up. Right, we do. That's what the Bible says. But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, I want to tell you something. If He loved you while you were still in your sins, then He loves the people around you who are still in their sins. And you and I should love them with the love of Christ, not discriminate, show favoritism and partiality. We should love them with the love of Christ, with the hopes of leading them all the way to Christ who can save, transform, and change their lives. That we, Man, I almost took off on that one, didn't I? Good gracious. Stop showing favoritism. And partiality. And then the last one we looked at was stop trusting dead faith. Faith without works is what? It's dead faith. Faith accomplishes something. We're not saved by faith, but faith that saves always does something. It works in us. It works through us. It accomplishes something. And one of the ways we can tell if we have real genuine faith is ask this question. What is that faith changing and doing? What is it producing in our lives. And so James says, stop trusting faith that doesn't do anything. That's dead faith. Now this morning we come to a subject that I know you're all looking forward to. Start bridling your tongue. Wow, this one's going to hurt a little bit today. But, um, but anyway, James says we have to start bridling our tongues. Let's begin reading in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, uh, uh, um, how great a forest a little fire kindles, and, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water? And bitter from the same opening can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs. Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. We'll stop right there. But as I said earlier, there is no doubt about what he's talking about, is there? We know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the tongue. 
He's talking about words and how important they are. We have a lot of common sense quotes that can be found uh, if you just go on the internet. Let me share with you a few this morning that I really like that will help us get into this message. Here's the first one. A sharp tongue and a dull mind are usually found in the same head. Do you agree? Yeah. I, here's another one. Don't mix bad words with your bad mood. You'll have many opportunities to change a mood, but you'll never get the opportunity to replace the words you spoke. Man, that's true, isn't it? Here's another one. Never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. That's good advice right there. Here, here's one of my favorite ones. The amazing truth about the human tongue, it takes three years to learn how to use it, but it takes a lifetime to learn when and where to use it. It does, doesn't it? A few years ago, there was uh, a young child in the church, and I was seated, and, and that child ran up to me, jumped in my lap, hugged me. It was just awesome. I thought, man, I must be the greatest pastor in the world for children to love me like that. And then this child, before I could hardly say much, I, don't, I said a few words, this child looked up at me and frowned and said, ooh, your breath stinks. <laughs> Jumped down and took off. And I went looking for breath mint. Now, now the point is, is little children don't know any better. But by the time we get old enough, by the time we grow up and become mature Christians, we should learn how to use the tongue and control the tongue. This may be my favorite one. The reason a dog has so many friends is that he wags his tail instead of his tongue. And the last one, who cares for your beauty? If your tongue is ugly. Wow. Man, th this is an area where we as Christians, we really do need to deal with this subject. Uh, let's just see if we can make our way through the text. Let's begin in verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. The King James Version says the greater condemnation. Now, I ask you this morning, why would a leader... Why would a teacher, why would an instructor, why would that person be judged with greater condemnation? Why, why would there be a stricter judgment for that person? Well, here's the answer. When you're a leader, when you're a preacher, when you're a teacher, when you're an instructor, you have to use words. And you have to use a lot of words. And here's what James wants us to understand in this text. And that is words are dangerous. And words are deadly. And we have to be careful about the words we speak. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And how about this statement? And it is set on fire by hell. Wow. James has a way of getting his point across, doesn't he? <clears throat> Verse 8 says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And he says that, that the tongue 
is set among the members, it's a small thing, but but it has the power, it has the capacity to do great damage, just as the rudder on a ship can turn a huge ship. The tongue has the ability to turn our lives around, to turn our lives upside down, to set on fire the course of nature around us. It has the, the power to kill just like deadly poison. I, I know people who stay in a firestorm all the time and they spend their lives blaming somebody else when they haven't quite realized that it's their own tongue and their own words that keeps setting the fire. Oh, friends. And, and what James is saying uh, in this text is this. He's saying, be careful if you choose to be a leader, if you choose to be a teacher, if you choose to be an instructor. Be careful because what you will be using all the time is something that's dangerous, it is volatile, and it is deadly. And that thing that you'll be using is words. Words. You see, if you were handling explosive material, you'd be very careful with that explosive material, wouldn't you? When you're an instructor, a leader, a teacher, you have to choose your words carefully. You have to guard your words. You have to bridle your words. And, and, and the reason why is because the Bible says every word will be brought into judgment with every secret thing. And that's enough to scare you, isn't it? I mean, every word that we speak with every secret thing will be brought into judgment, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every word we've spoken. But to intensify this, but he says, but if you're a teacher or a leader or an instructor, you'll be judged by a greater judgment, a stricter judgment. When you, when you put yourself in the place of teacher, oh, friends, I'm telling you one day, you'll be judged on a higher standard than everybody else. Words are dangerous. Words are deadly. Now, I know somebody's going to walk up to me after the service and say, yeah, but aren't words good? Yes. The Bible says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. The Bible says uh, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word fitly spoken. And a, and a word fitly spoken, how good is it? It's a wonderful thing. There are many verses in the Bible that deal with a, a, a good tongue, a wholesome tongue, a healing tongue, a virtuous tongue. But what James is saying is, is that the tongue has as much potential for evil as it does for good. And we have to be careful. See, with the tongue, you can tear somebody down or build them up. With, with the tongue, you can bless somebody or curse them. You can give them death or you can give them life. And, and so we have, to be, we have to be extremely careful. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh, friend, we, we have to be careful. This is a serious matter. I doubt that most of us understand and comprehend how serious it is when we're dealing with words in the tongue. If you're going to be a teacher or a leader or a preacher or an instructor, and these are wonderful callings, but we have to be especially careful in those positions. And we have to understand that the tongue cannot be tamed. In my Bible, this whole passage of Scripture has a heading, and it's this, the untamable tongue. 
The tongue cannot be tamed. Look at verse 7 again. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now what James does in the book of James is he gives us a little bit of a play on words. He says no man can tame the tongue, but he says, but you can bridle the tongue. And not only that, you have to bridle the tongue. It's a requirement. James 1.26 says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, see, there it is. You claim to be religious, but you refuse to bridle your tongue. He deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. I, I've run into people my entire life that say this. I've never quite understood why people would say this. But I hear people say, I'm just the kind of person I say whatever I think. Whatever comes to my mind, that's what I say. If it's what I'm thinking, you get to hear it. If you don't know what I'm thinking, don't ask me because I'll tell you what I'm thinking. And they tell you that as though it is some virtue that they have acquired. And what James says is very clear. If you don't bridle your tongue, he says you're deceiving yourself. And if you make any profession of religion, it's useless. It's absolutely useless. I told you you'd be squirming a little bit during this message, didn't I? This is tough, isn't it? And by the way, the word bridle means to bring something under control, to curb, to restrain, to check, to suppress. One dictionary definition I found said to bridle something means, I love this, to put a lid on it. Have you ever been around somebody who just wouldn't hush? Who was just chattering away? And you just wanted to say to them, put a lid on it. Just stop already. You're killing me, man. Hush. Stop. Proverbs 13.3 says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Wow, this is tough stuff, isn't it? I'm under conviction and I'm preaching it. The expression open, opens wide his lips means that's someone who just will not hush. Someone who just will not stop talking. And I want to tell you something, friends. According to the Bible, sometimes the absolute best way to handle a controversy is just stop talking about it. Just quit. Proverbs 26, 20 says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out, but where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. Sometimes just quit. Just stop talking. Many years ago, my wife and I were young. Probably only been married four or five years, maybe six years. And somebody convinced us to go to a marriage, a couple's retreat. Where we could learn how to deal and work through all of our problems. Well, I didn't really think we had any problems. But I decided to go anyway. And I thought, you know what we'll do? Is we'll go to this conference and we'll learn some good problem management skills. And then I'll go back and we'll just teach the church. And, and I want you to know 
One of the things they taught us at this conference was, is it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter what the issue is, you've got to come out with it, you've got to talk it over, you've got to share with one another, you've got to get on the same page, you've got to get it all out on the table. And I'm telling you, within about 72 hours, my wife and I were ready to get a divorce. And the one commitment that we made when we left that conference is there's some things we don't need to talk about. We're in our 46th year of marriage because there's some things we don't talk about. I'm trying to help some of you right now. I'm trying to help you. Just stop talking. Next time an argument breaks out, stop talking. Just hush. Now that doesn't mean the person, the other person will hush. But sooner or later they'll burn out if you just don't say anything. It'll, they'll, wear, they'll wear out. By the way, a member of this church gave me a cup not long ago. And that cup said, I could agree with you, but we'd both be wrong. So let's just not talk about it. I wonder if they were trying to tell me something. Wow. Now, if I can find my place, we'll, we'll move on. James, James is saying that we, we have to... We have to tame the tongue. We have to bridle it. Not tame it, but bridle it. Because you can't tame the tongue. But you can do what? You can bridle it. James says, listen now, this is the core of the text. This is the CIT of the text. James wants us to understand that you can't tame the tongue, but you can bridle it. And there is a big difference between taming and bridling. James wants us to understand that the tongue cannot be domesticated like wild animals can. That's that's what he says in the text. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no man can tame the tongue. You can bridle it, but you can't tame it. Do you understand the difference? You see, you can take a wild animal and you can, you can tame it. You can teach it to do certain things. You can domesticate a wild animal. Not so with the tongue. You can't do it with the tongue. You can't domesticate the tongue. Even for those of us who are Christians, you just can't do it. You see, as Christians, there will never be a time in your life or my life when we can say, okay, I've done it. I've tamed the tongue. My tongue is now tamed. It is no longer dangerous. I don't ever have to worry again about my tongue hurting somebody else. 
I don't ever have to worry about my tongue embarrassing me or anybody else. I don't ever have to worry about my tongue causing me to sin. My tongue is tame. I can, I can work on other things now because of my tongue. No, friends. No. What James is saying is every day of your life as a child of God, you've got to understand that the tongue cannot be tamed. It has to be bridled. You have to purposely and intentionally every day of your life put a bridle on it. Make up your mind you will control it. That you will restrict it. That you'll put a lid on it. And that you will govern what you say based on the Word of God and based on the Holy Spirit. Most of you have heard about uh, the great John Wesley, one of the, one of the founding fathers of, uh, of the Protestant movement, so influential. I mean, it was already in progress, but boy, what a contribution he made. This is a story from his life. John Wesley was a great English preacher of the 1700s. He was considered a rather spiffy dresser. One Sunday morning, he wore a bow tie that had long ribbons that hung down. After the sermon was over, a lady walked up to him and said, Brother Wesley, are you open to some criticism? He said, I guess so. What would you like to criticize? She said, the ribbons on your tie are entirely too long and inappropriate for a man of God. And she took out her scissors. And she reached up and cut the ribbons from his bow tie. A hush fell over the people standing around as Wesley calmly asked, now may I borrow the scissors for a moment? She handed them to him and he said, Ma'am, are you open to some criticism? And she answered, Well, I suppose I am. He said, All right then, please stick out your tongue. Which was worse, the tie or the tongue? Oh, friends, the tongue. You see, words of criticism can often be worse than the thing being criticized. Here's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Which one will God be more displeased with what I'm criticizing or the words of criticism coming out of my mouth? I can tell you this, friends. God doesn't want blessings and, and cursing to come out of the same mouth. Look at verse 10 again. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh water. Years ago, when we were in Sopchapi, and we were building the worship center down there, and I've always been a, a hands-on pastor, and, and when work is being done, I put my blue jeans on, and I'm out there working like everybody else, and one day I was in the front lobby of our new building. We had not opened it yet, but I was working on the plumbing. And I was down on my knees uh, working on a toilet. And the door was open to the bathroom. And this man walks in to the front lobby of our church. And I got to tell you, 
I've never heard such filthy, ugly, ungodly, blasphemous language in my life. It was like the all-time worst. And, and just for a moment, I was stunned. And I stood up, and I walked to the door, and he was still carrying on. And here I am, I have a utility belt on, I have a cap on, I have blue jeans and boots. I look just like one of the construction workers there. And he kept on. I thought, what should I do? And then I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit. And I just walked straight up to him and I put my hand on it. I said, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Jones. I'm the pastor of this church. And he got deathly quiet. So help me, this is what he said. He said, I go to church. He said, I like to worship the Lord. He said, I taught a Sunday school class one time. And he just starts telling me all this stuff. And, and I'm thinking, you, you just went, went from this vulgar sinner to this saint who's, man, he, I, I, want, I didn't say it because this would, I would have been as guilty as he was. I wanted to say, you mean to tell me you praise and worship God with that filthy, ungodly mouth of yours? Because that's exactly what James is saying here. Listen, he was a human chameleon. He was a human lizard. Changing colors with whatever crowds he was in. I can tell you, friend. James says, these things ought not to be so. They shouldn't be so. Let's see if I can finish up here. I, I want you to look at one final verse. Here it is. Verse 2. Now, this is going to give you a little grace right here. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. Now, I just felt for sure I'd get this roaring amen through the house right here. For... <laughs> <clears throat> For we all stumble in many things. We do. You understand that? We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. L listen to me today. We all make mistakes. And by the way, if you make mistakes and you want people to forgive you of your mistakes, then you should be willing to forgive other people of their mistakes. If God has forgiven you, you should be able to forgive other people. We all make mistakes. We all stumble in many things. We all blow it from time to time. We all have feet of clay. There are no perfect people among us. None whatsoever. Not even in the household of faith. We all stumble in many things. But then what he says is so very interesting. He says, he says, we all stumble in many things. But if a man does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. You understand what he's saying? He, he's saying that if you'll go to work on your tongue, 
I, this may be a breakthrough for many of us here today. If you'll go to work on your tongue, if you'll bridle your tongue, if you'll learn to suppress your tongue and put a lid on your tongue and guard your words and be careful what you're saying, if you'll do that with your tongue, then what the Bible says is if you can make headway in that area, you can begin to control your whole body. You can begin to control your whole being. You can begin to bring everything in your life under the control of the Holy Spirit. But you have to control your tongue. You have to work on your tongue. Now, I want to close with this. And that is something very wonderful that we can do with our tongues. I, I hope you'll listen to this. This is wonderful. It's not just wonderful, it's absolutely miraculous. Here's something you can do with your tongue. And you have to control your tongue. You have to discipline it. You have to put a bridle on it. You have to make it your tongue do this. But here's something you can do with your tongue that's miraculous. You can use your tongue to call on the name of the Lord. Joel 2.32 says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you know that those exact words verbatim were repeated in the book of Acts, Acts 2.21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Romans 10.12-13 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You, you see, friends, when, when a person believes in their heart and is willing to repent and that person makes a decision to call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says when that person calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. That it can turn them around at that moment. If you're a child of God and you know you're a child of God, then the message for you, the message for me, the message for us, those of us who know that we are truly born again, start bridling your tongue. Stop making excuses for your tongue. Start bridling your tongue. If you're not absolutely sure where you'd spend eternity, then the first thing you want to do is you want to make your tongue, make your being submit. You don't be controlled by the members of your body. You control. You make yourself call on the name of the Lord. And ask Him to save you and to change you. Let's pray. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.